Let's jump into the word. Can we do that? Everybody came today for bumper crop. Somebody say bumper crop. Somebody say bumper crop. Y'all just are just kind of waiting. You're like, who won bumper crop? We're going to tell you at the very end. Not now. Everybody say bumper crop. Take your Bibles out. Just stay standing, if you will. Don't sit down. Take your Bibles out. They're bringing out some props that I will use today. Pay no attention to the guys who come out from behind the black curtain. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 21. I do not know if we will make it all the way to or through verse 21, but we will work as long as time permits. But I want to jump into his word because I believe that God has a word for us today. And I believe God is going to take the word that I am saying today and he's going to interpret it in such a way that it falls upon every ear and every heart that needs to hear it in the way in which they need to hear it. You see, I believe God is about to do something great in the body of Christ. Is it all right if I preach? The Bible says that he can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we think, ask, or imagine. In other words, your greatest imaginations pale in comparison to the limitless ability of God. And what you think may be a limitation in your hand, what if, what if you'll just take that, what you think is a limitation and place it in the hand of God, all of a sudden it will release God's limitless power in your life. Are you with me? I need you to understand this. Let me say it another way. You see, what you have in your hand, you may think is not enough, but when you release what is in your hand, it will expose the more than enough power of God in your life. Somebody look at your neighbor and announce to them the subject matter of our conversation today. You're not enough is more than enough. Hold on a second. I need you to look at the, your other neighbor and say, you're not enough is more than enough. You see, God has done incredible things in the body of Epicenter Church in 2016, but I believe what God is going to do in 2017, which is just a little over a month away, is going to pale in comparison because I believe God is going to do things that expose his immeasurable greatness. This year, the theme for our year has been We Are Church. Everybody say, We Are Church. Church is not a place that you go. Church is a lifestyle. Church is not something that we do inside of here. It is a movement of people who go outside of the four walls and pastor and change a community. Inside of that theme, we are church. We've given to you our code. Ten things that we adhere to in order to accomplish God's vision for this church. Periodically, I give you these throughout the year. Ten of those things, you can look on the screen and you can see all of those ten things, but it's number one that's of interest to us today. Number one says, we are about more. We ultimately want more of God. Everybody say more. We ultimately want more of God. We want to see more restoration, more healing, and more lives changed. We desire for God to do the unexplainable. God is a more God. But what you need to understand behind that 
code, if you will, is there is a principle. It's the law of reciprocity. It's the law of sowing and reaping. And in order for you to experience more of God, you've got to release what you already have in order to experience more from him. God is a God of more. He is the light of the world. And as Christ followers, we should live in such a way that shines his light so that others see our deeds and begin to praise his holy name. You see, it is not red state or blue state, Republican or Democrat that will heal our land. It is a God who loves us that every man shall be saved. The name that is above every other name. And if you call upon that name and believe in him, you shall be saved. Somebody ought to praise him. Give him some great praise in this place. I didn't say nice praise. I said, give him some great praise. So let me give you the concept that our conversation will center around today. If God is a limitless God, if God is a God of more, then the only limitation that is upon us is our unwillingness to use what we already have. Good Lord have mercy. That a preach. Let me say it again. If God is a limitless God, a God of more, then the only limitation that is upon us is our unwillingness to use what we already have. Touch your neighbor and say, your not enough is more than enough. And then be seated. And let me begin to get my preach on. Because I feel the Lord working here today. Hang with me upstairs. I don't even know if we'll stick to the notes. You just hang with me. If you hear something close, then put it up. <laughs> Let me take you to the narrative of Scripture that we're going to explore today, that we're going to unpack and dissect. It's Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to read a few verses, if you will, and then I'm going to stop and offer some commentary. But I need you to see this. I need you to open up your hearts and your minds to what God has for you today. Because here's what happens. It says in chapter 8 of Mark, verse 1, it says, During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him. Hold on a second. What I need you to understand about this crowd is that they have been following Jesus from city to city, village to village, ignoring their own hunger pains because of their hunger for the word of Jesus. In verse 2, Jesus identifies a need. He says, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me for three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. He's identified the need. Let me show you the response of the disciples to the need. They say in verse 4, his disciples answered, but, but, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? Can anyone get enough bread to feed them? What they are saying is we don't have enough, Jesus. We can't do this. Jesus, we don't have enough. There's not enough restaurants in the area for us to be able to go and get the food. There's not enough daylight left for us to be able to go and get the food and get back here before it gets dark. There's not enough of us. There's only 12 of us that can even go and grab food, and we don't have enough hands and arms to carry the food back. There's not enough money between the 12 of us to be able to go and buy what you are telling us to go and buy. There's not enough. There's not enough. We just don't have enough. 
Then Jesus asked them a question in verse 5. He says, well, how many loaves do you have? I love that. I wish, Dwayne, that I could have been present to have heard Jesus' tone with the disciples because I don't believe it was asked in such a loving way. I think there was a little bit of sarcasm there. I believe he said, well, how many loaves do you have then? In other words, what Jesus was saying is, what do you have that you're willing to give? Well, what do you have that you are willing to give? I need you to grab this today. What do you have that you're willing to give? And at that moment, I can just see all of the disciples beginning to go through each other's backpacks. And and James is like, I got a loaf. Bartholomew, I got a loaf. Matthew's like, I got a loaf. Peter's up there. He's like, I got two. Everybody looks at Peter like he's been holding out. But they gather all the loaves together and they still only have seven loaves of bread. And they say, Jesus, you better send these people on because we don't have enough. There's not enough. You don't understand, Jesus. These people are going to riot if you don't send them on. You see, they did not understand the concept that all it takes is very little in God's hand to be very much. Because all it took was one little word, let there be, and he created the heavens and the earth. All it took was a little bit of dust to create man. All it took was one rib to create woman. All it took was one man with one staff to say millions. All it took was one little boy named David with a slingshot to save a nation. Good Lord have mercy. All it took was one teenage girl by the name of Mary to give birth to a, to give birth to a savior that would save the world. What you need to understand is that my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. You need to understand he is my portion. He can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we think, ask, or imagine. Therefore, the only limitation in your life is your unwillingness to use what you already have how many loaves how many loaves do you have we have seven Jesus it's not enough I started to name this sermon wonder bread feel like preaching, but I can't get ahead of myself here. You see, we're going to park today in verses 4 and 5. But before we can park in verses 4 and 5, we've got to make a pit stop in verse 2. You see, you cannot understand the conversation that is taking place in verses 4 and 5 without understanding the context of the conversation that begins in verse 2. In verse 2, Jesus looks out at the crowd and he identifies the need Jesus says this look at verse 2 he says I have compassion for these people you need to circle that I have compassion for these people I have compassion for these people it was the compassion of Jesus that compelled the heart of Jesus to move on their behalf. We can't rush past this word compassion, James, because I know we want to get into the depth of this narrative, but we need to understand compassion. You see, 
It was the compassion of Christ that compelled him to move. And as Christ followers, we have the same responsibility and response in our lives. When we see a need, compassion should move us. Hmm. I think about all of the other places in the Gospels that talk about the compassion of Christ. When Jesus saw the multitude of people who needed to be fed, Jesus grabs the boy's lunchbox, five loaves and two fish. The Bible says that he had compassion for the crowd, therefore he fed them. I think about the paralyzed dude at the pool of Bethesda who's lying there 38 years and the Bible says that Jesus had compassion upon him, therefore he healed him. Tanya, I think about the dude with leprosy that no one would touch, but yet Jesus had compassion for him and touched him and healed him. And during those days, if something clean touched something that was unclean, the clean thing became unclean. But in Jesus' case, when the clean thing touched the unclean thing, the unclean thing became clean. Good Lord, have mercy. Compassion. Compassion compelled the heart of Jesus to act. Compassion. Here he is taking the disciples on a journey of compassion. It is the grace of God. You need to understand this. The grace of God is revealed to us through the act of compassion. But the disciples didn't fully understand their involvement in the process of compassion. Therefore, they were looking at their lack what seemed to be not enough and they used what seemed to be not enough as an excuse not to act oh lord have mercy so here's jesus taking them on a journey showing them the very heart of compassion showing them what compassion looks like but at the same time also showing them and teaching them the process that if you'll take what is in your hands however little you think it may be and you place it in my hands it will be multiplied compassion when you take very little what you think is a limitation in your life what you think is not enough and you place it in his hands it becomes more than enough again I think about Moses who had a staff all it was was a staff until God got involved and then it saved millions of people I think about David that teenage boy with just a slingshot in a rock but when God got involved it saved a nation compassion here he is teaching us compassion and he's teaching us how to use what we have in order to change our environment there's a teaching lesson here that's happening because what's happening through this story, Mark, is that Jesus is showing us that God is a God of progression. That God desires to find people who will use what they have in their hands to change where they are. Lord, have mercy, that's good. Can I get somebody to help me preach today? He's looking for a group of people who will use what they have in their hands to change where they are. When you think about the Bible, you see all of these incredible men and women of God. You see Samuel, you see David, you see Moses, you see Abraham, you see Elijah, you see Elisha. You can go to the New Testament, you see the disciples, Matthew and James and Peter and Bartholomew. You see the apostle Paul, Peter. 
You see, all of these incredible people that God used, God used them then. Here's what you need to understand. If God wanted to use them now, they would be alive now. But rather, God wants to use you. That's why you're here. What are you willing to give? How many loaves do you have? Compassion. Oh, Lord. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, compassion. You see, we need to understand the complexities of compassion before we can move past this. You see, the word compassion in the Greek, when Jesus says, I have compassion for these people, the word compassion in the Greek is the word splagnos. Now, I need to keep this as G-rated as I possibly can, but I also need to illustrate this for you, the way that this word intends to be used. The word splagnos, I have compassion for these people, is also used for the word bowels. Bowels. Now, what you need to understand is this word means deep pain, movement in my bowels. Again, let me keep this as G-rated as possible, but when you have movement in your bowels, you have movement with your feet. (laughs) Hello. There's deep pain in your bowels. There's movement in your bowels. You are compelled to move. In other words, God looked down from heaven at the brokenness of humanity. He had compassion for us. Therefore, he looked around heaven and said, Jesus, you're their only hope. Compassion. My question for you is, when was the last time that compassion compelled you to act? Several years ago, I read this research study, this poll that had been conducted that said the majority of Americans have a favorable opinion of Jesus, but an unfavorable opinion of the church. A favorable opinion of Jesus, but an unfavorable opinion of the church, Jason. And There's a plethora of reasons for that, but one reason that is applicable to this narrative of Scripture is this. Jesus was known for what he stood for, compassion. The church is known for what we stand against, condemnation. Hello. Jesus is known for compassion. The church is known for condemnation. The real question is this. What are we as a church going to do about changing that perception in our culture? Because all Jesus did was tell the disciples, there's a need. There's a need. And if we send these guys and girls, if we send them on their way home, the journey is so long, they may collapse on the way because they haven't eaten in days. And the disciples say, we don't have enough, Jesus. We don't have enough. We, we just don't have enough. We don't have enough time. We don't have enough energy, Jesus. I know they are tired. They've been following you for three days. But, man, we've been following you for a long time from city to city to city. And we're just as tired and just as hungry as they are. And we don't have enough. And there's 12 of us. And there's only seven loaves of bread. And Peter can eat. We don't have enough, Jesus. We, we don't have enough. And And the more that I thought about that concept, I I begin to think, how often do we allow our limitation to take a seat at the table with us? How often do we allow our limitation to take a seat with us? Now, I understand that this is not 
a story that happened around the dinner table, but it is a story that happened around dinner time. How often do we allow our limitation to take a seat with us? Therefore, we're focused upon what we can't do as opposed to what he can do. Hold on a second. You see, God was trying to challenge the disciples to realize that if they'll take whatever they have, however little they think that it is, and if they'll place it in his hands, that he will multiply it. He will use it. But can I be honest with you this morning? Many of us, we come to church and we want God to comfort us in our limitations. God, give me comfort in my limitations. God, give me comfort in my limitations. But I just wonder if God doesn't want to comfort us in our limitations, but rather he wants to confront us in our limitations. Good Lord, have mercy. So that we'll realize what we're capable of doing if we'll place whatever little we have in his hands, he will show us how he can multiply it. So here's Jesus on this side of the table, if you will. He's looking at the disciples and he says, how many loaves do you have then? Not enough. <laughs> not, en- not enough. I don't have enough. I just wonder if we forget when our apparent limitation, when our lack seems to be so apparent, I wonder if we forget what we do have. An even greater question is, I wonder if when we have an apparent limitation, if not only do we forget what we do have, but we forget what God has already taken from us and multiplied. We don't have enough, Jesus. We don't have enough. Not enough. Not enough. I'm just telling you, not enough. So we sit here. Allowing limitations to take a place with us at the table. We're focused on what we can't do as opposed to what he can do. We're focused on this side of the table as opposed to to who's sitting at the head of the table. Mm. It reminds me of Psalms chapter 23, this beautiful soliloquy that David wrote. David wrote, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear. For your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You cause me to lie down beside quiet waters. You restoreth my soul. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Hold on a second. Sometimes we quote that verse, but we really don't know what that verse means. Can I tell you what that verse means? Can I tell you? (laughs) What David is saying is that you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. He is highlighting the fact that his limitations are all around. His oppressors are all around. His weaknesses are all around. His enemies are all around. His wrongdoings are all around. His not enough is all around. All around him, but yet somehow a bountiful God places a table before him and he places beautiful bounty on the table and then God takes up his rightful place at the head of the table. While all of that stuff is around, the overwhelming blessing of God is so apparent. Well, how many loaves do you have then? 
Not enough. Not enough. We got seven loaves. It's not enough. It is not enough. Jesus, you better get somebody else. Have you seen how my husband is treating me? Jesus, I don't have enough. I don't have enough. I don't have enough belief to believe in restoration anymore. I don't have enough. I don't know who I'm talking to, but many of you have taken up residence, if you will, at this table with your limitations so close to you that you've forgotten who's sitting at the head of the table. I don't have enough. I don't have enough. I don't have enough energy to wake up in the morning because I'm not getting enough sleep. I'm not getting enough sleep because I don't have enough money to pay my bills and I don't have enough money to pay my bills because I don't have a good enough job to be able to have enough money to pay my bills and I don't have enough talent to be able to do something something else and I don't have enough wherewithal to be able to get outside of this situation. I don't have enough. There's not enough. And we begin to talk about, I can't, I can't, I can't. And we ignore what God can and can and can and can do. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. He will exceedingly abundantly bless me above all that I think, ask, or imagine. Why? Because he is my portion. Come on, somebody give him praise. All we need to realize is that we cannot focus upon what we think we do not have but we got to focus on who is at the head of the table it is not what we don't have the only limitation that you have in your life is your unwillingness to use what God has already given you but how many loaves do you have not enough I don't have enough it's just not enough and I think about all of the times in the Bible where Someone brought to God what they thought was not enough and God took it from them and multiplied it. I think about how the widow woman came to Elisha and she said to Elisha, she said, my husband died and he left us with a mountain full of debt. I don't have enough to pay any of this stuff and the debtors are coming to take my sons and they're going to take my sons and sell my sons so that the, so that the debt can be satisfied. I just, I don't have enough. He said, well, what do you have? She said, I don't have anything. He said, you got to have something. What do you have? She said, I got a, a little bit of oil, but it's not enough. He said, well, then I want you to go to all of your neighbors and ask for as many jars as you can because you're getting ready to start pouring some oil. Did I tell you I, it's not enough? He said, go get some jars and begin to pour the oil. And so she went and got all the jars that she could get. And she began to pour and she poured and she poured and she poured and she poured and she kept pouring. She kept pouring. She went back to Elisha and she said, I got a ton of jars. He said, take them and sell them. She took them and sold them. And then she came back and and Elisha said to her, now, now your debt is settled and you've got enough to live off of. Mm, Hold on. No, 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 no. Hold on, hold on. The point that I'm trying to make is this, and you need to hear this. Anointing is on what you have, not what you're waiting for. Mm. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Good God. That's good stuff. I was high-fiving God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Your anointing is on what you have, not what you're waiting for. Listen, I've had people come up to me and say, Pastor Martin, you know what? When I win the lottery, I'm going to buy us a whole new church. Well, what makes you think, let me say it this way. 
If you can't be faithful with seven loaves, how are you going to be faithful with 70 million loaves? When I get that job, I'm going to give big time. Well, if you can't be faithful with seven loaves, how are you going to be faithful with 70,000 loaves? Your anointing is not on what you're waiting for. Your anointing is on what you have. <laughs> how many loaves do you have? Then? <laughs> not enough. I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. I often wonder if our I can't is really I won't. You know, there's this statement that many of us make. I, I would if I could. How many of you have made that statement? I would if I could. I would if I could. I would if I could. When I was a kid, I used to add, you know, my own little tag to that. I would if I could, but I ain't because I can't. I would if I could. I would if I could. But I think we need to change that to I can because he will. Mm, hold on a second. This morning I was thinking we should change it to I will because he can. But then I thought, no, we need to put faith first. And, and, and you know, I, I thought it should be I can because he will or should it be I will because he can. Either way, you know, we need to understand that all we have to do is just take a little bit of faith coupled with a little bit of what we have put in his hands can do things that we cannot do for ourselves. Oh, Lord, yeah, I, I, I will because he can or I can because he will. Whichever way you choose to decide to do that, whichever way you do it, I will because he can. I can because he will. I can go because I know he will make a way. I can believe in restoration because my God is a God of restoration. I can overcome because he told me that I am more than a conqueror. You see, I believe some of you, your blessing is about to increase. Your territory is about to increase. Your marriage is about to increase. We can't wait on God bringing us something. We've got to use what we have now that he's already given us in order to receive what he has for us. Good God Almighty. You see... The point that I am trying to make is this. Stop expecting multiplication in your life if you are only using subtraction with God. Lord, that I preach. Listen, I am here to challenge you today. What will you give? Three and a half years ago, Three and a half years ago, we did something called Love Month. We wanted to volunteer in our community a thousand hours for that month, just loving on our community in various ways. A thousand hours sounded scary. It sounded almost impossible. We've got to do that inside of a month. Well, here we are a little over three years later, and this year alone, we will volunteer over 20,000 hours in our community. Have we not been willing to give what we thought was a little? God would have never multiplied it into a lot. Several years ago, we got together as a leadership team, a board, a, our staff, and, you know, we said, let's, 
Let's give $20,000 this year to our local and global impact. Let's just give $20,000 away to those who are in need and to ministers who are, who are performing the ministry all around this city and around the world. $20,000 may not sound like a lot to you, but then, man, it was a ton of money. And I, I mean, I swallowed hard. I was like, $20,000, Lord have mercy. It's hard enough to pay our bills. And then on the other side, I'm thinking, well, it's not really that much, but I don't even know if $20,000 will even, you know, do anything. But we put it in God's hands anyway. And this year, we will give away in local or global impact Right now, we'll, we'll probably approach $200,000 this year. I'm looking forward to the day that that's over a million dollars. Three and a half years ago, we had this idea for Hop in the Park. Can I tell you something? I never shared this with you before, but Hop in the Park, the very first year, I don't remember how much we spent Last year, we spent $80,000 on hop. I don't remember how much it was the first year. It was nowhere near that because we didn't really know what we were doing. We were just believing. I went back and uncovered some notes and, and saw the stuff that we had to believe for for hop in the park. And I'm thinking, wow, man. You know that hop in the park the very first year, and again, I don't remember how much it was, but it was going to cost us more money than we even had in the bank. It didn't make any sense. But since then, over 80,000 people have been ministered to by Hop in the Park. Wow. I just wonder, had we not taken however little we thought it was and had not placed it in God's hand, I wonder how many people would have missed the message of Jesus Christ. And then what's so ironic to me in this passage of Scripture, James, is that the disciples... How much, how many loaves do you have? Not enough. The disciples have already seen Jesus do more with less. They have already seen Jesus feed the 5,000, really the 20,000, because they only counted men. They've already seen him feed that many people with a boy's lunchbox five loaves and two fish. But when we begin to focus upon the I can'ts, we ignore what he can do. We've got to begin to change the vocabulary in our minds so that we can change the vocabulary that is coming out of our mouths. We begin to say things all of the time like, I can't and it's not enough and I'll never be in God. Why? But we need to realize that God is requiring more from the church so that our culture can be changed by our church. We've got to begin to say, I will because I know he can. I believe I'll go, I'll give, I'll love, I'll buy some bags of food and place it at my bumper. I'll be invited. In Operation Compassion, I'll buy some turkeys. I'll love on some people, even though they haven't loved on me. I'll do what you call me to do because I may not think that I have enough, but I will not limit my God because I'm going to place it in His hands and watch what He'll do. Come on, somebody, get up on your feet and give God some praise in this place. Y'all making me preach too hard today. Hold on a second. Here's a thought that I need to leave you with. You need to stop expecting God to bless what you're not willing to give. Good Lord, that's good. 
Let me read a few more verses. We're not going to make it to verse 21. Just stay on your feet. How many loaves do you have? Verse 5 said, they said seven. Watch what happens. He told the crowd to sit down. No conversation after after he heard seven. How many loaves do you have then? We only have seven. It's not enough. Sit down. (laughs) Not you, the crowd. Just sit down. We got enough. There's enough here. You're not enough is more than enough. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. Now watch verse 7. I love the comical nature of verse 7. They had a few small fish as well. They were holding out on Jesus the first time. What do you have to give? Not enough. Seven small loaves. I got some other stuff I ain't willing to give. You know how we do the same thing. I'm going to tithe, and and I'm going to tithe this month, but next month I'm going to go on vacation. God understands. I won't even preach that. He gave thanks for them also, and he told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. What? They say somewhere around 15,000 to 17,000 people in this crowd. Verse 9, about 4,000 were present. That's just men. After he had sent them away. Verse 10. He got into the boat with the disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. It's really verse 7 that I need to highlight. Said, no, verse 8. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces. What you need to understand is this. In the Bible, the number for completion is seven. It's enough. They had seven loaves at the end. They have seven basketfuls left. What I'm trying to say to you is that God is the God of completion. And what he began in you, he will be faithful to complete it. Even when you think what you have is not enough, it's more than enough with him. Good heaven.